Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians read through the Book of Concord and discuss our Lutheran confession of faith. On today's show, we are continuing to make our way through the small called articles, which are the articles confessing the faith written by Martin Luther himself. And we'll be looking today at articles 10 and 11. Article 10 is ordination and the call. And very briefly, as it, it's somewhat related, but we covered this in greater depth with the apology of the Augsburg Confession not very long ago on this show. Uh, we'll also take a look at 11, the marriage of priests. Um, but <clears throat> basically, today's show is all about uh, pastors in the church and and where the authority comes from and uh, and their place there in the church then. And uh, our confessor with us today is Pastor Micah, Micah Bauer. He's the associate pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Brookings, South Dakota. And I'm your host today, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the dual parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill. Pastor Bauer, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be on. It is a great honor and pleasure to have you on. You are a faithful confessor in the church and a good friend of mine, uh, and uh, I'm very pleased to have you on as we talk about uh, what you and I do in the church, uh, that is, mm-hmm. be pastors, and, and namely where, uh, where folks can have the assurance uh, that we, we have the authority of the Office of Holy Ministry, uh, and they can have confidence in that, that, uh, that we have... Uh, that to carry out. And I guess I'm, I'm going to do a little setup myself here. I've kind of done this the last several weeks. Um, and where this falls in the small called articles, I remind you all the way back in part three here of uh, article four, the gospel. And flowing forth from that article, uh, we, we see, you know, how that gospel is made um, uh, visible, tangible, real to us uh, as sinners that we may be comforted by it. We receive it in baptism, the sacrament of the altar, and then connected in there also would be the keys and confession, uh, whether or not we call uh, confession absolution a sacrament. We talked about that on the show, how that's debated. Uh, but these are the uh, the means of grace of how the gospel is delivered to us. And then, of course, connected in there with uh, confession and so forth would be issues of excommunication as well. And, uh, and of course, uh, we, we know this from our small catechisms where we, where we have the, the power of the keys. Uh, these are executed on behalf of the whole church through the office of holy ministry, which is instituted by Christ himself. And so then we have article 10 that flows forth from all of these things of, uh, that office that carries these things out. And that's dealing with ordination and the call. And especially as we'll see today, you know, some of the issues that came up with the ordination and the call, especially at the time of the Reformation as the, the, the Lutheran reformers, 
uh, broke from the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and so we'll be talking about some of those issues that were addressed at that time, but yet still has great application for us uh, today as we understand uh, rightly the ordination and call today. And then also, of course, I mentioned we'll talk about the marriage of priests as well as these are tied in with that office of holy ministry. So that's just kind of my brief overlay of kind of where we're at in the small called articles, how these articles of faith uh, connect together and uh, and kind of gives us a brief setup there. Pastor Bauer, is there anything that you'd like to set up for us today before we actually do some reading from the small called articles? Uh, the only thing that I would mention is is the role of or the way that the Roman Catholic Church understands um, its own authority and how um, for them it seems that the the call of pastors is something that comes down uh, comes down from the top rather than up from the congregation, and so they have a very different approach. Yeah, down from the top, uh, we, we we would generally call that uh, we, uh, in terms of government of the church. Um, there's there's kind of a couple different models out there, right? There's the congregational model, and then there's the Episcopal model. Uh, and I'm not necessarily even sure that you're you're talking about necessarily the models of uh, church governance that we have here, um, but uh, kind of. Uh, you know, laying out there for us the the Episcopal model, right? The uh, the top down model um, that uh, comes to us from the Roman Catholic Church, and, and you're saying that we have a different view from the from the church up. Would that be the congregational model then? Yeah, that, that, that's right. So, so for Lutherans, the church is uh, believers. It's the individual church is how we talk about it. Where, and, and, and you know it when you see it, when you, when you find the word, the word and sacraments faithfully administered. Whereas for the Roman Catholics, which is what we are breaking from, the Church uh, is, is those who are essentially under the authority of the Pope, and, and you recognize the Church by her structure. And so with the role of pastors then, for us, um, the, the authority to even have a pastor is something granted by the Word of God. And so, and, and it's the congregation of faith which then bears this um, this ability to extend the call and, and to ordain her own ministers. Whereas for the Roman Catholics, then it would be it would be something that the Church possesses, the Church at large, that is, under her structure. I, I like how you frame that. Uh, for us there you, you gave us the the line there that uh, you know even even the office of ministry itself is granted to us. Um, by the word of God itself. And, and I think that that's maybe even a little bit different than we tend to understand uh, that church governance structure that I was, I was laying out there very briefly with that, that congregational model. Um, I, I think sometimes we're tempted to think about uh, the congregational model as being just kind of the opposite of that Episcopal model where, where there's a, this authority vested in, in bishops and the Pope and things like that, and it comes from the top down and so forth, and that the authority then in the congregational model comes from the congregation and and I think this plays out sometimes in terms of, you know, whatever our unique circumstances are, um, you know, our congregation determines what's right for us and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I like the way that you frame that for us, that that even the congregation itself is gathered by the word of God. The, the word of God is its governing principle. 
Uh, and so, you know, that that's what we mean when we talk about, you know, the, the uh, you know, from the congregation up, as it were. Uh, but but we rightly understand that that the congregation itself is gathered uh, around the word of God itself. So that that's our real authority is, you know, so maybe it's better to, to call it a word oriented uh, governance structure or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think you frame that really well for us. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and you got it just right. All right. All right. We're going to jump in and uh, because you're, you're kind of setting me up for the first question I want to ask you then uh, after, after we read this. So I should just go ahead and read the article and then, uh, and then we can jump into uh, discussing it here a little bit more. So again, uh, this is uh, from the small called articles written by Martin Luther himself, part three, article 10, ordination and the call. If the bishops would be true bishops and would devote themselves to the church to the church and the gospel, we might grant them to ordain and confirm us and our preachers. This would be for the sake of love and unity, but not because it was necessary. However, they would have to give up all comedies and spectacular display of unchristian parade and pomp. But they do not even want to be true bishops, but worldly lords and princes will neither preach nor teach nor baptize nor administer the Lord's Supper nor perform any work or office of the church. Furthermore, they persecute and condemn those who do discharge these functions, having been called to do so. So the church should not be deprived of ministers because of the bishops. Therefore, as the ancient examples of the church and the fathers teach us, we ourselves should ordain suitable persons to this office. Even according to their own laws, they do not have the right to forbid or prevent us. For their laws say that those ordained even by heretics are truly ordained and stay ordained. As St. Jerome writes of the church at Alexandria, at first it was governed in common by priests and preachers without bishops. All right, so that's the entirety of the article there. And I guess kind of the first question that jumps out for me then, uh, Pastor Bauer, is um, at the outset here, Luther identifies the bishops as the one who do the ordaining. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's probably a given for them at that time why that is and so forth. But for us today, uh, and maybe we don't have this thinking in our church, or, or maybe it's there in some senses. I mean, we see district presidents uh, uh, show up to do our ordinations, generally speaking, uh, or at least a district vice president or things like that. And in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and, and you were kind of getting at this before with with that top down Episcopal structure system of the Roman Catholic Church. But but why are, why are the bishops the ones uh, who are given this charge in that Roman Catholic system of doing the ordination? And why is this uh, significant that he's addressing here? The bishops, and then we'll move into why why he has issue with the bishops themselves. But first, why why are the bishops responsible for the ordination? Sure. So um, the, the the best resource for this that I've found is actually in a treatise on the power and primacy of the pope. Um, so in the in the uh, Concordia Reader's Version of the Lutheran Confessions, over on page three hundred three, um, it's under the heading of the power and jurisdiction of bishops. Uh, they quote Saint Jerome, um, who was in, who was a early fourth century uh, church father, and Jerome says, "I'm on the top of the second column on page 303." But afterward, one was chosen to be placed over the rest. This was done as a remedy for schism, lest each one, by attracting a congregation to himself, might tear apart the Church of Christ. 
Fred Alexandria from Mark the Evangelist to the bishops Heracles and Dionysus, the elders always elected one from, from among themselves and placed him in a higher station, calling him a bishop, just as an army would make a commander for itself. The deacons, moreover, may elect from among themselves one whom they know to be active and name him archdeacon. With the exception of ordination, what does the bishop have that the elder does not? And then here the, the treatise goes on to explain that it appears that by the time of St. Jerome, it had become a, a common practice by, by human right to, um, to appoint bishops, uh, that is to say, pastors over multiple congregations and over their pastors, um, rather than simply a pastor over an ind- individual congregation. And, and, and along with this, um, the, 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 the role historically came to be that for the sake of good order, um, bishops would be the ones uh, with other pastors present, uh, present who, would, who would ordain um, those who were coming into the ministry. And so it's not, it's not dissimilar from how we have our own district presidents um, doing our ordinations and installations. It's, but, but the thing is, for us, it's not, we don't recognize it as being something mandated by Scripture, um, such as with, with, with the laying on of hands and, and the understanding of that and, and Timothy, um, but rather we understand it as being by human right. Okay, so then go ahead and talk more about that. Why for the Roman Catholics is, um, and, and I think that this is referenced there, and, and you know, he's, he's kind of making fun of them there, uh, where he says, you know, however, they would have to give up all comedies and spectacular display of unchristian parade and pomp. Um, uh, and then we'll get into the next section there, but, but they don't want to give that up. Uh, and they don't want to be true bishops, which is oriented from the word. But, but why for them, and you reference uh, Timothy there, uh, but why for them are, are these things in the bishop's um, you know, so important. Why, why for Roman Catholics is that so important? Because that's how they connect themselves to, to Jesus and to the authority that they believe he gave to his church through its structure, um, ultimately through Peter and, and, and the popes who followed. They, they understand that the church has authority to, um, to be church and to, especially to interpret God's word. Um, because of that authority passed down. And so they trace the apostolic succession, and, and it's in this line of kind of a supposed infallibility in certain circumstances that they, that they find their hope and comfort that Jesus is working in his church. So, so you gave us that, that term there, apostolic succession, you know, kind of that, and you described it for us, you know, the passing on from the apostles who were ordained by Christ himself. And of course, then they ordained others. And so we have this succession of, of this line that can be traced all the way back to Jesus. Is it fair to say that, you know, they, they're, they're seeing something magical about this, um, that there's, there's, you know, maybe faithfulness passed on through that uh, line or something to that effect then? You know, um, I, I wouldn't say that it's that it's magic per se, but but they definitely they, they definitely believe that um, Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit will work in His Church, that is through this structure of the Church as they understand it, um, in order to preserve true teaching um, and and the authority to interpret Scripture and tradition uh, rightly. 
Okay, so then what what's the problem with that um, kind of thinking? Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is that there is that there was no such special authority given to Peter. Uh, we, we can talk about um, his confession in in Matthew sixteen um, and how it's upon Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ that that Jesus will build his church and how Christ himself is the rock upon which he will build his church. Um, that, that's the main verse that they go to, but they have others as well. Um, and, and the problem with it is that Jesus really didn't make such a promise, um, as is evident in a, in a number of ways. But, but, but they, look, they look for, they, they find their hope in the structure that they believe Jesus has given them, when in fact he hasn't. And so their hope is placed not so much in his word, as in what they believe his church to be. That's, that's interesting what you're framing there for us. Um, and, and I think for us, again, returns to the, the real authority is in the word. And, and that's where everything is derived from. Um, but they, they've kind of done it in these things that are tangentially, you know, connected to the proclamation of that word historically. And and I think it's important here too to point out that that you know things that you know he's kind of making fun of them here with their their unchristian parades, their pomp, and things like that. Uh, it's not like those things that they do in connection with ordination, and some of the things that we would do as well are unscriptural. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they 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 had certain things. Uh, you know, where there was uh, you know the anointing oil connected with ordination, um, the laying on of hands. By the way, all of these sorts of things are. are very much connected because we see them in scripture um, as uh, being connected with uh, healing and, and, you know, kind of blessing the sick and things of that nature as well. And, and so I think they are very scriptural things. And sometimes we do a disservice when we just discard them from our use. Uh, and so it's not about the things themselves, but it's about the thinking connected with them and, and where this comes from. And, and one of the best resources that I have found in kind of framing this for us is actually uh, uh, someone, uh, our regular listeners of this show will know quite well uh, uh, from uh, CFW Walther. I reference him quite a bit. And one of his great works is uh, Church and Ministry. And on his Theses of the Ministry, um, Thesis 6, he actually uh, has two parts to this. He has a part A and a part B. And on part B of Thesis 6, he specifically uh, is addressing this issue of ordination. And, uh, and so this is part B of Thesis 6. He says, the ordination of called persons with the laying on of hands is not a divine institution, but merely an ecclesiastical rite established by the apostles is no more than a solemn public confirmation of the call. And then he goes on uh, and he, he kind of does this with all of his theses. He gives scripture proof and then witnesses of the church uh, and its official confessions and then uh, writings of the teachers and things like that. And, and his scriptural proof, he simply says this, whatever cannot be proved to be God's institution from his word, cannot be regarded and accepted as his own institution without committing idolatry. Scripture does not tell us of any divine institution of ordination. It merely attests that it was used by the apostles and that at the time the communication of precious gifts was connected with the laying on of hands. According to God's word, there is, of course, no doubt that even today, ordination is not a meaningless ceremony if it is connected with the ardent prayer of the church. 
based on the glorious promises given in particular to the office of the ministry. It is accompanied with the outpouring of heavenly gifts on the person ordained. And I like what uh, what Walther does there for us is he, he takes us right back to, yeah, they, they did these things like laying on of hands in Scripture. It shows up in Leviticus 8 through 9, Numbers 8, 11, and uh, 27. Also in Acts 6, 6 uh, for the ordination of deacons. And then Acts 9, 17, St. Paul himself has the laying on of hands. These things are scriptural, but they're never instituted uh, by God's word, the, the way that we would see like the sacraments uh, where Christ gives us the institution um, to baptize, to, to uh, you know, give his body and blood in with and under the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins, things like that. Right. Um, but uh, but that these things are done because they are in connection with the word. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, it, it is the, the main thing is that the word is proclaimed through the office itself. That's right. And the office that Jesus right. himself established when he said, um, when he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It's that promise that we can trust. And that's from Jesus himself. Absolutely. I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted here. So someone is, I, I'm doing uh, this show from my office and uh, uh, there, there's someone outside my door, uh, I think, trying to get my attention or something. So, uh, the awkwardness of doing a live show uh, right from your, your office. Uh, this is this is ministry on the ground and running here. Anyway, uh, sorry, you have my attention back here. Very good. All right. All right. Uh, so then, uh, uh, mo- moving forward then, uh, so... I'm sorry, I have to get my, my thought back in line now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but they, uh, but he says, but they don't even want to be true bishops, but worldly lords and princes who will neither preach nor teach nor baptize nor administer the Lord's Supper nor perform any work of the office of the church. What's he talking about here, that they don't want to be true bishops? I mean, why are they in the, why are they doing the job if they don't even want to be that? What, what's he getting at here? Uh, that is strange. It seems like like they have taken on more of, uh, maybe an administrative role or something, but they, but they don't seem to be word and sacrament guides, um, which is strange. And again, if we, if we go back to, to the treatise, um, the same page 303, um, paragraph 61, everyone confesses, even our adversaries, that this power is common to all preside over churches by divine right, whether they are called pastors, elders, or bishops. And that, and that, um, that, that authority in particular, uh, I, I skip paragraph 60, which is, the gospel assigns to those who provide over churches the command to teach the gospel, to forgive sins, to administer the sacraments, and also to exercise jurisdiction or that excommunication that you talked about last week. So these are the things that a, that a pastor is to do, and and that's true whether you um, that that office is is true whether you call them pastors, elders, or bishops. But it seems that that these that the bishops by by this time had removed themselves. From, from being what we might say is word and sacrament guys, and 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 it becomes something else. And and I think probably you know just you know as we see in the world sometimes. Uh, we we even s- still see this going on. Our our own sinful flesh tempts us and leads us astray in so many ways, and and it's kind of this lust for power and. And we've seen this show up several times, especially at the time of the Reformation, when we recount the history that that so much of what's going on is actually connected to more civil and worldly affairs and and the desire and lust for power and influence than it is about the actual work of the gospel and the church itself. Um, and, And that's 
seems to be a, a big issue of what the the Lutheran reformers are actually quite upset about is because all all of that is lost, namely from the pure proclamation of the gospel, when we become con- more concerned with these these other things than the gospel itself. And and so I, I think it's a fair backhand here that he's he's kind of saying, and, and you're not even concerned with the work of the church, you you bishops, you you've right. you've forsaken this for for worldly lust of power. Mm-hmm. For, for being that's, all that you desire the church to be, it, whether that's in, in both kingdoms or with all of her wealth or, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so then, so then this kind of presents a problem for the Lutherans, right? All right, so we've we've kind of laid out the historical uh, situation there, but but before we leave the history entirely, it kind of presents a problem for the Lutherans, right? Because if we're going to say, well, you bishops, you know, because you're not doing your job, you don't have, uh, you know, we're we're not we're not even going to let you um, retain this right uh, for for our pastors. Um, we're going to let the word be our authority here. Um, so, so then how do Lutherans get their ministers? How do Lutherans get their pastors? Well, Luther ends up concluding that, um, that, that the church itself has the right to call, ordain, and install pastors. And because the church at large has this right, uh, Luther concludes that individual congregations have this right. And so he brings it down to that level. How do they get that right? How do they get that right? Uh-huh. Um, um, like, oh, wh- what authority right does he give um, that the congregations have this this right to do this? It, it, it's the authority of his word, where he where he um, calls them to do so, where where um, a congregation um, publicly together with with the other pastors for the sake of good order, um, will will call a man to be their own pastor, someone who fits the necessary guidelines. He'll be the person to, he'll, he'll be their word and sacrament guy, as it were. All right. The authority of the word. Very well focused there for us in the first half of the show. We're going to go ahead and take our break now before we come right on back and continue this discussion on the authority of the word in ordinate, ordaining pastors. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more.
I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology, we are Worldwide KFUO. No piece of literature has had more impact on the American culture than the Bible. From the literature we read to movies, art, and music, even to the naming of our cities and towns, the Bible has influenced and impacted every aspect of society. Did you know America has literally hundreds of places named after Bible towns, perhaps more than anywhere in the world, except the Bible lands themselves? In Texas, you can visit Athens or Corinth or Palestine, Eden, even Blessing, Texas. And don't forget Corpus Christi. And if you're in California, look up Antioch and Carmel or Goshen and Joshua Tree. Pennsylvania has Philadelphia, Nazareth, Emmaus, even New Jerusalem. There's a Galilee in Rhode Island, Arkansas, and New York. And over 15 states have a Bethlehem. Engage with the Bible, with the many influences of this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to Concord Matters as we have Pastor Micah Bauer on us on our show with us today. He's the associate pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Brookings, South Dakota, and I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. And we are continuing to take a look at Article 10. We'll, we'll also try and look at Article 11 here today as they're connected, dealing with the Office of Holy Ministry, pastors, uh, generally speaking there, and, and, and first and foremost, focusing on, as we have in the first uh, have the show uh, this article 10 on the ordination and the call uh, and and right before the break we were talking about how the the authority to ordain in the congregation comes from God's word itself and, and I just wanted to highlight where God's word namely one place uh, specifically comes to a second Timothy 2 verse 2 st. Paul gives to pastor Timothy uh, he says and what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And, and there we just have beautiful summary in one verse in scripture of, of kind of the order of how we uh, have pastors in the church and, and how, how they are raised up. Um, you know, we, we receive the teaching and, and, and we talked about apostolic succession and, and the Roman Catholic understanding of that in the first half of the show, how it's through the laying on of hands passed down and you be able to trace the line all the way back to uh, Jesus himself and to his apostles and then on from there and so forth. And, and how there's, you know, 
maybe something, you know, kind of magical thinking playing in there, but, you know, just kind of, you know, that authority has to be connected there. Um, but, uh, you know, second Timothy two, two, I think really frames it well for us as, as we talked about with pastor Bauer on the, on the first half here, how it, it's the word itself. It's the teaching, uh, that is the main thing. Uh, you know, what you have heard from me, namely, that's the proclamation of the gospel, right? Uh, and from many other witnesses, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and trust that to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And, and that's the apostolic succession we want, which is the proclamation of the word going back to that. Um, and Pastor Bauer highlighted this again for us in the first half of the show that, uh, you know, they, they, um, take a look at Peter's confession there uh, and, and and Jesus saying, you know, upon this rock, I will build my church. And and for Roman Catholicism, they associate that with Peter himself. And that ties into their understanding of apostolic succession. But for us as Lutherans, and I believe in a very biblical sense, and again, connecting in 2 Timothy 2.2 here, uh, it, th- that, that rock that the church is built upon is the confession of the gospel that Peter makes there. And that's uh, Jesus' mm-hmm. main focus. And so, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to highlight that that, that, that one verse, I think, just kind of throws out this understanding of, you know, kind of the, the, the laying on of hands, the anointing with oil and all the other pomp and parades that we kind of make fun of here in the small called articles that, that for the Roman Catholic Church is the main thing of how you have assurance that your pastor is ordained to do this ministry to execute the office of the keys. Uh, whereas rightly from scripture, it, the authority is in the word itself. Did you want to comment on that at all, Pastor Bauer? I mean to say that um, the things of the faith never look like much. <laughs> Um, they, they they never look as majestic as they actually are, and so there are times that people try to dress it up, um, which has led to various abuses, but which which never really arises from faith. So so the things of faith are are in one sense hidden, and so they look plain, and so when you see you know pomps and parades and things, it causes us to question a little bit. Not not that not that it's a lack of faith necessarily, but. Um, the things of faith are, are, are simple and hidden. I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, such a Lutheran understanding of things that you highlight there, um, that, that it's, it's plain, you know, that, that it, these are simple things. And, and we kind of make that point a lot. I mean, even Jesus himself, you know, he had no form that anyone would look at him, right? You know, we, 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 mm-hmm. we see this, you know, pointed to us from scripture itself. Uh, and, and yet, um, we, we do tend, I, I think it comes from the sinful nature. It's, it's within side of us, uh, uh, that, um, you know, as, uh, other guests that I have on the show, Pastor Peter Ill and, uh, Pastor, or not Pastor, but layman Peter Slayton, um, often like to reference, you know, it definitely, these things come out of our sinful nature so much, uh, that, uh, we, we really do like to, to get concerned with the wrong things and, and get caught up in the pomp and things like that itself. However, let me ask you this, Pastor Bauer, is it bad then, um, you know, as I've even seen in some ordination rites and, and installation rites as well, a lot of those sort of, you know, same, same sort of ceremonial things, uh, that are a part of the Roman Catholic rite uh, used in the the Lutheran Church, uh, Missouri Synod, as well with uh, ordination and installation. Is it wrong to have those things then, or or how do how do we hold this tension then? Mm-hmm. The way that I've come to evaluate um, Christian practices 
and, and a lot of things in life, actually, uh, is, is with two questions. Is it faithful and is it helpful? This is how, I, this is how I've come to address things of Adiaphora. Um, if it's actually faithful to Scripture and if it's actually helpful for teaching. And so, actually, as part of my ordination, um, I, I, I made it so that there was a, a little part uh, thrown in there where I had members of, the members of the congregation present me with symbols of, of the office. And so um, I've, they, they, they presented me with, with a Bible and with a shepherd's staff and with the communion ware. And they said things like, um, preach us the word of God. Um, um, call us to account. Keep us in, in the sheepfold. Uh, administer the sacraments to us as a way to, as a way to try to teach um, the congregation they're gathered, what it is that they're doing and calling me as their pastor. That, that's interesting. And yeah, definitely not in the uh, Lutheran service book agenda for the, the rite of ordination <laughs> right. and installation. Uh, but uh, I like your evaluation of it there. You know, is it faithful? Uh, and, and what was the, the second point there? It, it, and is it helpful? Is and, it and helpful? helpful? Helpful for teaching the faith. Right. And that's where I was confusing my mind, what you said there, because I, I was going to say, you know, does it teach, uh, which is maybe the way that I would break it down, you know, or what does it teach uh, is maybe, uh, mm -hmm. but, but all part of the same evaluation of, you know, uh, and, and I like what you, you, you said there, you know, for, for your ordination then to have the congregation do this uh, serves as a wonderful teaching moment um, that, of course, we have in the small catechism uh, under, you know, the, the various listings of, you know, what do hearers owe their pastors? Uh, and we, we have those scripture readings and we have those scripture readings in the, the rite of ordination installation that we have in the Lutheran service book agenda. And, and these things are read to the congregation, but, but to have them physically present these things and ask these things of you as a pastor uh, serves as a, as an extra helpful teaching. Now, because it wasn't done in my ordination and installation, it doesn't make mine invalid or anything of that nature. It just meant for, for your particular, um, you know, putting this together, it is something that's faithful that that can be done within good order and, and, and then helps, helps teach. And, and as a good reminder for the congregation of these things that are pointed to then in, in our small catechisms and in the readings there in, in the rite itself. Um, so I like that evaluation that that's, that's very good and very helpful for, for evaluating this, I think reflects then CFW Walther's uh, theses uh, six that I was talking about as well, that, you know, when he's talking about in the ordination, you know, specifically with the laying on of hands, this is just simply something the apostles did. Um, and, and, you know, it was a very, you know, uh, Jewish thing going all the way back to the, the Old Testament. The Hebrews practiced this in their faith as well. And so it would have been understood and also taught, um, that connection then, uh, with, with, uh, these, these Old Testament rites as well. Um, but, but it was never itself instituted as this is what has to be done, right? That's right. All right. So, so then as I've brought in CFW Walther kind of preemptively, so we, we highlighted then, you know, that this obviously becomes an issue for the, the Lutherans because if we're not going to have the bishops do it because they're not really even doing their job, they're more concerned with other things and not being true bishops as Luther says here. Um, so, so we have the problem of, okay, we're going to need pastors because eventually, uh, you know, the, the Catholic priests that, 
became Lutheran reformers that, that were that broke off and so forth mm-hmm. uh, at the time of the Reformation, they're, they're going to die off. And so, you know, we're, we're going to have, um, you know, this, this um, uh, you know, return to the authority as the word itself. And, and that is the central teaching at work at all times. Anyway, they cite even Jerome in this, right? Uh, so it's at that time. Mm-hmm. But, but have we seen this at other points in the history of the church or do we still see this today? Kind of, that's a two part question that maybe I want you to address of, you know, why is this issue for the ordination and the call, um, you know, an issue that, though written at the time for obvious reasons at the time of the Reformation, how is it still, uh, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, relevant for us today? And have we seen it at other times in the history of the church? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it helps us to get away from our radical individualism of it's just me and my Bible, uh, me and Jesus at, at, at the altar, um, these sorts of things. And it helps us to to ask how are we actually connected to Christ church, to the group of people that he has saved. Um, so it helps us to have that, that more collective identity. Um, but it, it also, um, it also keeps us from putting our, our trust in something other than the word, especially from putting our trust in a, a, a structure of, of ecclesiology, um, as a structure of the church. As, as the Catholics now have it. Okay, talk talk more about that. Um, so, so, so for the Roman Catholics, it, the, the way that I've come to understand this, and I, I, I'm a I, I'm a, a pastor um, in, a, in a church that in a in a city that has um, a university, South Dakota State University. And um, one of our college students is, is kind of heading towards Roman Catholicism right now. So I've been thinking a lot about this here lately. Um, for, for him, the authority to be connected to Jesus, essentially, comes through being connected to the church. And what that means now, uh, as it's now understood, is being connected to the Pope. And so rather than, rather than being able to simply trust the promise of Jesus, um, that he has died and risen to, to forgive us of our sins and to save us, we now have to also be connected to this external structure for your assurance, because it's, it's only those people who can rightly interpret Scripture. And so if you're not connected to this larger structure, then you're not church, um, which was, of course, a huge question for us when we arrived in America and, and had to get rid of Martin Stephan, our bishop, are we still church? We are believers, therefore, yes. And as believers and bearers of the word, we can and will um, call and ordain our own pastors. And and ideally, we'll do it in in good order using bishops and everything, but if the bishops aren't willing, if they're not going to ordain Lutherans, well, we still need pastors, so let's still call faithful pastors. I, I think that's a that's a helpful framing that you you give for us both the historical context within our own Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, taking us back to the issue that came with Martin Stefan and he was our bishop, but but it also connected in with that issue then is the fact that their pastors there in America uh, were pastors who had left their calls in Germany in order to emigrate to America. Now there were good reasons for that. Uh, namely, the false teachings uh, that were going on in the churches and schools in Germany at the time. They, they were 
seeking to get away from those things uh, to preserve their children, to, to bring them up in the true teaching of God's word. And, and then as they got here and, and became known uh, that Martin Stefan, who, who actually, when he got ousted as the bishop, came across in the southern Illinois, right near where I'm at now. Uh, so it's always kind of ironic for me. But, uh, um, but yeah, you know, even as it became known, the, the sin that was going on in his personal life, um, and, and they needed to remove him as their bishop and so forth. Again, what, what is the saving grace in all of this? But that the authority of the office of the holy ministry and the congregation itself is all gathered around the authority of the word itself. And actually what produced, uh, what came as a production out of all this was what I've already referenced, Martin, uh, not Martin, uh, CFW Walther's great work, Church and Ministry. Uh, and he writes these theses on the church and the ministry and, and, and really frames well for us. So if you're interested, listener, and want to check out more of this, uh, check out Walther's Church and Ministry. It goes into great depth and detail on on these things and how we have that assurance. Uh, but then in connecting in for the, the present circumstance, um, what I wanted you to say more, and, and that's an interesting example that you give us there. And, and again, I think, you know, kind of, we, we, we grope about for these things. I, I see it reflected in our civil realm, right? Um, that, uh, you know, we, we look for a structure itself to save us or to, to be our confidence. Um, but, mm. but, the problem with human structures itself is that they are fallible and they will fail us. And so like in our mm-hmm. civil realm, you know, we constantly have to have the right president or the right governor or the right person in charge, the right institution ordered the right way. Um, and, and the ultimate truth is, is that we never really have that um, because they're all tainted by sin, right? And so what do we need? We need something objective. We need something outside of ourselves. And as my district president here always loves to, to remind congregations as well, especially, he says, you know, I see that you're, you're looking for a savior. You have one. His name is Jesus, right? And, and he's given us his word, uh, graciously preserved by the Holy Spirit himself. That, that is our objective assurance. And we should cling to that, right? Um, but, uh, we, we constantly grope after these institutions and, 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 you know, think that, you know, because, because that, that, Maybe even an institution has stood the test of time going back um, to the apostles and so forth. Um, but, but when we understand rightly that it's, it's the foundation of the word, the confession of the, the gospel that has been preserved throughout time, well, then we rightly see that our Lutheran church and our Lutheran pastors have the true apostolic succession, as I said, going all the way back to that same confession of the apostles themselves, that truth of the gospel. Uh, yeah, I think that's fascinating stuff. Yes. But by what right. right can we be church through Jesus? Because he says so. That's really what it comes down to. That, that's a great highlight for us. Yeah. By what right can we be church through Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. Anything more to say in, in terms of ordination and the call? Um, well, l- l- actually, I think we should highlight at least uh, one more thing. There's there's a lot of things that could be said and connected with this. Um, but, but at least one more thing, as it brings in the call here then, and that the call comes from the congregation, uh, talk a little bit about that. How, how, does, how does the call, especially for us today, um, derive from, from the authority of the word here also? So, so Jesus um, has given this office to his church, um, and... Um, and, and he's, he's given this, this usual way for delivering his, his word and sacraments through, through pastors. Um, and this is, a, this is a gift that he's given um, to his church. This is something that we bear as we bear God's word. 
So how does that relate then to the call, the calling of a pastor? I'm trying to think how to put this together. Maybe you can help me out here. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, so, so we have the authority of the word that, that gives us that we can ordain pastors, right? And, and that mm-hmm. the congregation itself is gathered around that word, right? So then, so then that, that word is also our same authority for the call of the congregation and, and that we don't need, I, I, I guess this is my thinking here, right? Um, mm-hmm. we, we don't need a particular institution in place uh, to, to tell us, you know, um, this is how you get your pastor, right? For, for human arrangement, uh, we have in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, chosen the option where a congregation gathers together a call list. They pray over uh, the names that they receive. Maybe they do some interviews, uh, things like that, right? Uh, and, and then they, they call a man to the office. And, and because we have to have the right understanding here that the authority um, that the congregation has gathered around, the authority that this man has been ordained and prepared for holy ministry around the authority of that word, and that that's what he's going to preach and proclaim there, right? That when he comes, when he accepts that call, right, uh, it's not on the basis of bishops assigning folks to go to a certain place. And, and you see this in the Roman Catholic Church still today, that they'll move their, their priests around and their bishops and so forth. And it's that top-down structure again, that governance structure. Mm-hmm. And while we've chosen a different governance structure and so forth, the, the, the reality is, is that, that the authority of the word still gives us great assurance that when we call him and he accepts that call, no matter how, whatever other things may play into that, that we can have great assurance that he's preaching the truth to us when it, when it is in agreement with scripture, right? That, that, that is the one that God himself has sent to me to, to preach. And, and for me as a pastor, it's maybe a little bit differently, right? Uh, because I, I go to a father confessor, right? A pastor needs a pastor also. Um, and, and so how I choose that may, may vary as well, right? Um, but uh, I have great assurance that when I go to my pastor and I hear him um, call me to repentance and forgive my sin, give me the absolution and so forth, administer to me the Lord's Supper, things like that, that, that I have great assurance that that is right rightly done and that this is the one that God has sent to me to do this because it's all in accordance with the word. He's delivering the word to me. And so that gives me great assurance, right? And, and same thing for my congregations here. I have a dual parishing your congregation out there in Brookings, South Dakota as well, right? Is that, uh, yeah, they have called you. They've had their process. You know, maybe they had their agenda of things that they were looking for in a certain pastor and so forth. But when it all breaks down at the end of the day, when you preach the word of God to them, when you absolve them of their sins, how do they have great assurance that that is the forgiveness of Christ, as you say in the absolution, right? That you do this in the stead and by the mm-hmm. command of Christ is because the, the authority of the word gives it to you. You are the one that Christ has placed there for them at that time, right? And so maybe that's a long excursus on it. Uh, and maybe I said a little more than I needed to, but, but I, I think, you know, it's really important and you've highlighted well for us, um, you know, just this, the centrality of the word. And this is the thing that we've, we've highlighted on each of these articles flowing forth from article four here in part three of the small called articles on the gospel itself. That, that really, it, it, it is the word, the centrality of the word that drives the gospel, its means of grace, its delivery to us, and, and, and then also here in the authority of our pastors to, to absolve us of our sins, as, as we have 
uh, heard previously in the articles as well. And um, yeah, I, I just wanted to highlight that as especially it pertains to the call, because I, I know that sometimes what happens in our broken world, right, on the flip side, is that, uh, you know, maybe we don't quite understand our pastors sometimes. And, and maybe, uh, you know, as, as tends to happen, um, you know, that uh, you get to know someone a little better uh, after you spend some time with them. And then you start to, to question, you know, well, are they as great as I thought they were at first and things like that? Right. And then what happens? Congregations want to run their pastors out and, oh, well, he wasn't really the right pastor for here and things like that. Right. No, we, we need the centrality of the word um, to, to remind us. Christ has sent them to you. You can have great assurance of that because the, the word is the, the one uh, who, who has placed them there. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? It, it does help to keep us from idolatry. Um, both, both congregations from idolizing their pastors and pastors from being too prideful in themselves. Um, recognizing that we can only be here because Jesus says so. And we can be assured that, that he has put us in this position, not for our own sake, but in order to preach the word and forgive the sins of these people here gathered because they are his people, not ours. They're his people. That's a great line. Keeps us from idolatry. That works for pastor and people alike, right? Uh, when the, when the word uh, guides us there. Yeah. All right. So uh, with just only a couple minutes left here, I, I do want to uh, uh, highlight just very briefly, and, and we're going to be covering this issue a lot more, as you've already referenced today, the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, which will be coming up, uh, sometimes even kind of considered an addendum to the small called articles. Uh, but it'll be coming up on our show very shortly because we're running out of articles on the small called articles. And that's where we're going next. So we'll be talking about this issue a lot more in depth there, as you've already highlighted several things for us. Um, but uh, also somewhat connected here, and we've talked at great length uh, recently on the apology, uh, as we covered the apology of the Augsburg Confession, but this Article 11 on the marriage of priests. So I just want to read this, and we'll, we'll just briefly discuss this too here. Uh, but I, I just want to highlight that right, right away, it talks about the authority to do or not do things, uh, namely... Uh, with regard to marriage of priests, um, and and we're reminded again, where does any authority come from? From the word itself. So I'll go ahead and read this. This is Article Eleven, Part Three, Part Three of the Small Called Articles, Article Eleven, the Marriage of Priests. They have neither the authority nor the right to ban marriage and to burden the divine order of priests with perpetual celibacy. They have acted like anti-Christian, tyrannical, desperate scoundrels, and by this have caused all kinds of horrible, outrageous, innumerable sins of unchastity, depraved lusts, in which they themselves still wallow. Now, neither we nor they have been given the power to make a woman out of a man, or a man out of a woman, or to nullify either sex. So they have had no authority to separate such creatures of God, or to forbid them from living honestly in marriage with one another. Therefore, we are unwilling to agree to their outrageous celibacy, nor will we tolerate it. We want to have marriage free as God instituted it, and we neither want to repeat, neither to repeal nor hinder his work. For Paul says that this ban on marriage is the teachings of demons, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. All right, uh, Luther gets pretty salty there uh, with the Roman Catholics, but I think for good reason, right? Right, right. I mean, uh, God himself says it is not good for man to be alone. And that, and that gets played out. I mean, the reason the Catholics do this when you, when you talk with them um, is, is, is St. Paul saying, I wish that all were as I am, um, that, that, is, that is unmarried. And so they see it as being 
virtuous, but then not only virtuous, but but as something something now required for their for their priests in the ordinary ways. Right, and 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 marriage is good, right? We get this understanding from good. the sixth commandment, <laughs> all right, uh, from God's word itself, ordained all the way back there at creation that woman is given to man. It's good. The authority of the word gives us this gift of marriage. We should honor it and keep it even within the church. So, very briefly covering that anyway. Uh, not enough time on this as we're wrapping up. Thank you, Pastor Micah Bauer, for being with us today. It's been a great pleasure. Pastor Bauer is the Associate Pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Brookings, South Dakota, and I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. If you have a question or comment that you'd like to leave for us to address the next time we convene for Concord, you can send us a message by phone, 314-996-1542, or email kfuo at kfuo.org, or on social media at KFUO Radio. It's been a great pleasure talking about the authority and centrality of the word the gospel delivered to you. You can have confidence in the ordination and call. Thanks for stopping by today. Until next time, keep confessing, church.